to our message today. So I want to ask you to turn back to John chapter 6 in your, right, in your uh, Bible this morning. John in chapter 6. We're going to get into this next portion here. And uh, today is uh, <clears throat> almost like a, um, an introduction for my part. We finished the introduction of uh, Jesus' introduction to the sermon that he was given in John chapter 6. Uh, uh, and again, I made this comment last week that there was more meat in his introduction than most men's uh, uh, sermons today. Uh, but today, I'm, I'm using this as a springboard for what we're going to cover in great detail uh, next week. And I'll speak on that here in just a second. John in chapter 6, and begin reading with me, if you will, in verse 49. Then we'll have a word of prayer, and we'll get into the message this morning. John chapter 6 and verse 49, the Bible says here that your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. And this is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Beloved, I want to bring a thought to you this morning from these few verses today titled, The Misunderstanding, The Misunderstanding. Father, we thank you, Lord, for all that you've given us. Lord, I want to thank you for this day, this time, this opportunity to be together. Lord, I thank you for every soul that is here this morning. I pray richly and wonderfully that you would bless their hearts, their minds, uh, uh, to through the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. Lord, I pray that you'd move upon their souls, dear God. I pray that anyone listening, anyone with an earshot, Father, would take hold of today's message. Now, Lord, as we look at the sermon that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ preached here on earth in a synagogue that he was in Capernaum, and Lord, bringing this, this everlasting truth to the ears of the hearers, and as they strove amongst themselves, misunderstanding what he was saying, I pray today, today that there be clear thought, clear speech, clear words, there be no misunderstanding in the hearts and minds of your people today. Lord, I love you. I thank you for all that you've done. I thank you for the protection, the blessings, Father, that you've given us. I pray forgiveness of my sins, dear God, and ask of you this morning. Bless your people in your house today. In Christ's name we ask. Amen. Amen. So John chapter 6, verse 49, 52, kind of picks up in, a, in an area there as, as we see in verse 49. And and we see here in verse 50, it says, This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. Now, if you're taking notes today, or if you make mar uh, notes in the margin of your Bible, which is nothing wrong with that, uh, um, verse 50 is linked to verse 48. You can draw a little arrow up there where Jesus Christ says, I am that bread. We heard in his introduction to his sermon that Jesus Christ himself doubled down on the fact that he is the bread of life, that through him everlasting life is found. And, and, and we can see that he is that bread of life, which is the only bread of life that can save a soul for eternity. The contrast that we're finally finding here is between the flesh and the spirit. And we see in verse 49 that Jesus Christ says, Your fathers, uh, they ate the, the manna uh, there in the wilderness. And verse 49 tells us, uh, Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness. And he ends that saying, and, and, and are dead. They're dead. They ate the manna, but they're dead today. And so that was uh, the, the sustenance, if you will, the nutrients, if you will. Now, we're going to see here in just a little bit in our last text verse today, and I'll, I'll say this just to you to, to get it out of your mind this morning, because we're going to cover it in great detail next week. Uh, they, their problem was, we find, that uh, uh, they're looking at the flesh of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is trying to bring a spiritual truth into their hearts and their mind. 
But they can't get past this idea that he said, you got to eat my flesh, all right? And so, yeah, if you take the sermon that we're going to look at next week and the rest of it literally to the T, then you see the Bible supporting cannibalism. We understand even before the law, uh, God said cannibalism was wrong. Genesis chapter 9, even after the law, he reinforces that cannibalism is wrong. It is a sin, and it's a sin today. It doesn't uh, go away uh, just because we are in the New Testament. And so we're going to address that next week of how uh, modern churches today, I say modern churches, churches that have been around 1,500 years, have perverted what Jesus was using in John chapter 6 to blurring forth this spiritual truth. So now that we've covered that. We'll look at it next week on next Sunday. Now we come back to where we are today, the contrast between the flesh and the spirit. And we see in verse 49 that, that the Lord reinforces this thought again that your fathers did eat the manna in the wilderness and are dead. So yes, our temporal bodies or their temporal bodies were sustained. Yes, they received the needed nutrients to survive in the world, and we understand that. Uh, but it did nothing for them in eternity. And that's the thought that Jesus Christ is trying to bring to them that they just can't see, that they're so close to the trees, they can't see the forest, if you will. And so we find here, and, uh, uh, we find here that that's the problem that they're looking at. And fair play, guys. The manna from heaven, let's just make it very clear. The manna which fell in the wilderness was not meant for eternity. It was meant for the wilderness. It was meant for them to trust the Lord God to have a daily faith that he would provide for them what was needed, listen carefully, every single day. And beloved, the daily faith has not changed. Our daily faith was not lost. It has not been done away with because the Lord gives us grace for each and every day to live in. And today's grace is for today. Today's grace is not for tomorrow. Every one of us have, have enough grace from the Lord Jesus Christ to get through every single day. We cannot borrow grace from tomorrow. We cannot save grace from yesterday. We can only use the grace our Lord has given us each day and every day. Read from the screen, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18 says, we have in the same spirit of faith, according to it is written, I believed, and therefore have I spoken. We also believe, and therefore speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise us up, um, shall raise up us also by Jesus, and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many read down to the glory of God. Look at verse 16. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward men perish, that's that man that received the man in the wilderness, if you will, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction is but for a moment, worketh for us a more a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal. The things which are not seen are eternal. The things that are not seen is what the people here at Capernaum could not wrap their head around. You know, I want you to look back on the screen here at verse 16. I've underlined it on my notes. It says, our inward man is renewed day by day. My friend, this is the grace bestowed upon us every single day, of which that we must take on 
through the bread of life, the Lord Jesus Christ, by faith to have and to hold. Beloved, much of what the Lord is telling the disciples this day in John 6 is tied to the very thing that you and I are experiencing in our life, or at the very least should experience, daily grace. Just like the daily manna in the Old Testament. The daily grace that we have in our life as a child of God. I understand that many of us do think that we can hold to that grace from today and build upon tomorrow. It will never happen. No more than you can take one of the 86,500 seconds that you have every single day to spend and carry it into tomorrow. It will not happen. The grace is reloaded for tomorrow, but it is not preserved for today. That grace is to get you through this very day. And that's the lesson that we learn from the wilderness. Now, the problem is the people listening, the disciples this day, are still looking back that we got manna from heaven. And there's a reason. We, our fathers got manna from heaven. They did eat. And the Lord says, yeah, they ate and they died. But if you take of this bread, if you take this bread, you'll have life evermore. Beloved, let me submit this first point to you this morning, that our daily grace, just like that manna, is received by faith and faith alone. But a soul must partake in it. That's what the Lord is saying. You must partake in it. Look in verse 51. He says here, And I am the living bread which came down from heaven, if a man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. Go back to that very, if, first off, the Lord is establishing, quickly I would say, who and what he is. Number one, guys, he is living. One of the things that, that I just, I cannot, uh, uh, I cannot stomach very well, I, don't, I cannot tolerate very well, is that when everyone depicts our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is going to descend uh, from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel, and, and call his bride home. When, they, when they, they depict him as either a dead man on a cross or a baby in the arms of his mother. Never getting to who and what Jesus Christ is. Never seeing that he is the God and he is the king of kings, that he is, he is God himself, that he laid his life down, and he himself, because he's God, took it back up again. My friend, you're going to have to partake in this bread. You're going to have to take it yourself. And that's the conditional clause this morning. It's not something that is called. As a matter of fact, guys, the manna in the Old Testament was only good for one day. Except for day six, they were, it, the Lord allowed them to gather enough for two days, given the Sabbath was on the other day. Our Lord and Savior is living. He does not decay. He will not be done away with. Jesus is making the correlation here because they knew and they understood. What kind of things did they understand? Let's be frank with it. They understood carnal things, fleshly things, that which came down from heaven, uh, and this was what they were still looking for. Let's go back in our mind in John 6. What were they looking for? Well, they were looking for meals, amen, carnal. They were looking for healings, carnal. They were looking for signs, carnal. They were looking for a king, carnal. You say, whoa, wait a second, preacher. What, what do you mean? Guys, all of those things are carnal. And I'm not saying they're bad things, okay? It's not a bad thing to want a healing. It's not a bad thing to want a meal. I spend half my day wanting a meal, amen? I mean, it's not a bad thing to want a king. Jesus is trying to get them to focus on the most important things right now, things that are eternal. Jesus said, if any man will eat. To eat is to partake. 
you have to make the choice. A soul must choose to partake in who and what Jesus Christ is. Abstaining to partake will result in absolute death. Again, I go back to the very that little word, that little two-letter word. It's a small word with a large meaning. He said, if. Herein is the conditional clause. There is the if factor, if you will. The way to salvation is through the bread of life, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. If you will partake, you will have. If you will not partake, you will not have eternal life. If you do not believe on him as the bread of life, you cannot and will not have eternal life. It is as simple as that this morning. So Jesus is laying a foundational truth here. Bread is known as sustenance. That's why that word is used. Quite often, many a times, uh, the word meat is used just as food. Take in meat, okay. And that meat sometimes can be just bread. They could have taken in bread in, in the New Testament, and it's referred to as meat many a times just to give them the sustenance. It is needed and required for life. Uh, it is the element of living. That's what food is, and that's why it is there. But the correlation Jesus has is tied to eternal life. But the leak this morning is the Savior, not the sustenance. The leak is the Savior, not the manna, not the physical food. He now, he now is about to become the eternal substance to bring forth and give eternal life to those who will willingly partake. I cannot emphasize that enough this morning. That there is a choice that each and every soul has in this world today. And that is to choose to partake in that bread of life. And beloved, this is constituted by point number two, which is the promise. You look in the latter part of verse 51, Jesus Christ makes it very clear, something that hasn't happened yet. He says, I will give, uh, he says, that I will give is my flesh, the, uh, and, his, and the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Now, in their mind, all they're thinking about is a meal now. Now, and now again, I'm going to be a little bit tolerant, as the, as the culture likes so much today, and say, well, I can understand that. They just came off the, the big feeding. Uh, the, the, the illustration here is used with the manna that it was from heaven uh, in the Old Testament, so maybe food's on their mind. So that's where they're tying this into. But yet Jesus Christ makes it clear that I'm going to give my flesh. I will give for the life of the world. The world, my friend, is dying. Creation needed a savior. Creation needed a sacrifice. One worthy of paying the price for all of mankind. The promise has been there forever. I want you to understand that. This is not something new. Remember, God is looking at, at time from the end. He looks, from the, he looks at the beginning. He's declared the beginning from the end. Revelation teaches us uh, uh, that those who are still alive during the tribulation period and who are not written in the book of life will end up worshiping the Antichrist. Revelation chapter 13 and verse 8 tells us this. This is the point we're making. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, speaking of the Antichrist, whose names are not written in the book of life. Watch this. The book of life of the Lamb slain from when? From the foundation of the world. The very lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world, a promise given to mankind, 
is the very lamb speaking to them in, the, in, in Capernaum in the synagogue this very day. The very lamb who fed the, the 5,000. The very lamb who walked across the water. The very lamb who has done the healing of the disease. The very lamb who will one day be the king of kings on this earth for a thousand years. The very lamb here is the one who was slain from the foundation of the world. The Bible tells us this lamb, the lamb of God, John the Baptist proclaimed there in John chapter 1, verse 36, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold, the lamb of God. You say, preacher, this is simple, this is easy. Yeah, this is simple. This is very easy. This is uh, uh, something that we know, we know quite, uh, quite easy today. God has always had a plan, and it is a promise of eternal life. Romans chapter 4, verse 13 Romans chapter 4 and verse 13, the Bible says, For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. See, this is the area that I want us to really understand today. You have one group of people who want to see something. They want to receive something. They want a promise. They want a sign. They want, they want to see uh, what is the signature. Give us something so we may believe. And the Lord says, hang on. I'm going to give my life for the world. But he's going to double down about belief. And many a times they, they want to say about Abraham this and Abraham that. And we find the Bible tells us that Abraham staggered not at this promise that we're speaking of today. In verse 20 of Romans chapter 4, Paul reinforces saying he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Now, when we look back at Abraham's life, and we see that when God promised him a seed, he didn't stagger at that promise. He knew that, he knew that covenant that was given to him in Genesis chapter 12 would be passed down through his seed. And here he was, nigh into 100 years old. And uh, uh, he begat Isaac, and that was that promised seed. And God said, take him up on Mount Moriah and sacrifice him there. Uh, he didn't he staggered not at that faith. He, had, he knew the promise was going to occur. Went up there, and, and uh, uh, he said, God will provide himself a lamb. He provided himself a lamb for the sacrifice that day. Isaac went on. Isaac had uh, his children. That seed was passed on down uh, through Jacob, whose name was changed into Israel, and then from the 12 tribes. And then all of a sudden, everybody is understanding there's a promise of the Lamb of God who's going to lay down his life from the foundation of the world. He's come here today, and yet they're still holding on what was. Beloved, you've got to partake in that promise if you want to reap the benefits of it. Paul was very clear that there was no staggering in unbelief. And the root today is that we received it by grace through faith. And faith is rooted in belief. The understanding that Jesus Christ would die for the sins of the world is clearly seen and clearly made here in his message. I will give my life of the world. He's not speaking in a parable. He's not uh, giving a metaphorical lecture within the context. It's clear and plain. I will give my life. Give for my, the life of the world. This is not, this is, I mean, this is the promise made well before the foundation of the world. And it's about to come reality. And salvation is about to come to fruition. But the promise extends further than John chapter 6 and the disciples in Capernaum this day. Further on, as we go into Galatians in chapter 3 and verse 22, the Bible tells us, But the Scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. Is that not clear this morning? Is that not very clear? Again, we come back to that qualifying clause that we saw in the verse earlier, if. 
if. If and believe, those are the two words that are connected together for eternity. The promise made by Jesus Christ uh, of himself giving his life for the world only benefits the soul if they believe by faith in this living bread of life, the sacrifice that must be paid for all mankind. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 6 says that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by what? The gospel. What is the gospel? It's defined by Paul in, um, in 1 Corinthians, all right? Chapter 13, what does he say? He makes it very clear. Death, burial, and resurrection, verses 3 and 4. The death, according to the scriptures, the burial, and the resurrection, according to the scriptures. That's the gospel today. Oh, beloved, Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1, he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. Guys, in his, in his final letter, his final letter that he ever writes by inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, in the last weeks of months of his days in this earth, knowing his time was short, Paul brings up this very promise Jesus is speaking of in Capernaum today. The promise that was made to the world. You get the picture with me this morning. These disciples uh, are looking for a king to set them free from Rome. That is carnal. They are wanting a sign. That is carnal. As a matter of fact, Jesus goes on later on to say that only a wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. They're desiring freedom and a kingdom on this earth. All the while, there are countless souls tipping off into hell's flame. Souls without hope. Some weeks back, I preached on the centurion. Last Sunday night, I preached on the centurion. I preached a message called Uncommon Friendship. And I got to thinking about it this morning as I was writing some of these things down. I got thinking about those that were locked in. They came into that synagogue, and Jesus Christ is preaching. And let's just be honest, man. He's bringing things to their ears that they, number one, haven't heard before. Number two, they ain't liking, Okay. They're not liking it one bit. Uh, I mean, you know, if they had a vote of confidence meeting that day, they would have voted Jesus Christ out as pastor, if you will, okay? I'm saying all that to make this point, guys. The, the, this group here, these disciples, they were at that time pupils, they were followers of Jesus. They're saying, we want a king. Wait, wait a second, well, how can you give us your flesh? We just want to be set free. Remember they were going to take him by force and he fled and he went into the mountain by himself? We want a king. Why do we want a king? Because we've been in bondage for the last 400 years. We want somebody to set, set us free from the bondage of Rome. We want to get these Romans out of here. You know what they were saying? We could care less about these Romans, these Gentiles. I haven't looked at the numbers of how many Romans died during the, the lifespan, the 33-year lifespan of Jesus Christ, but I do know it was in the multitudes of hundreds of thousands just by their conquests across the world. I know the thousands, I know uh, 36,000 was lost in one day as they overtook the British Isles and traveled north throughout what we know as England today. And uh, later on, we know that uh, Hadrian, of course, he was well beyond Jesus's days, but we know that Hadrian's wall was built because Rome said, we're just going to stop here because they couldn't conquer the uh, the battles that were, that were taken by the original Celts who fled to the highlands of Scotland. 36,000 men were lost in one day's time in a battle. And where do you think those men went? They split hell wide open. 
Where do you think these Romans were going when they were, they were worshiping their pagan gods and worshiping their idols, and yet they were dying day after day, either through septus or some type of disease or through war and some type of a battle, and they were dying over and over and over, and guess what? They were dying and splitting hell wide open because of their sins. And this lot here saying, man, look, we just want some free meals. We, we just want somebody to give us something. Man, we just want a king so that you can run these Romans out of here. We don't care what happens to them. Jesus Christ understands this is a group of people who were not a people. That this was a group of people who were without hope in the world today. And the Lord says, I have a promise to fulfill, and it's not just to you. I have the Father's will to be done to seek and save that which is lost. There are individuals who daily need the bread of life to live forevermore. And he tells them, I'm that bread and I'm going to give my life. Not just for Israel. Not just for Italy. Not just for Germany. But I'm going to give my life for the world. That's the promise, my friend. As we see the Lord Jesus Christ, especially as we get into it next week, he starts hammering thoughts here that these people are not going to like at all. And you'll see the end result. But Jesus Christ comes in to shake up the system. Jesus Christ comes in to shake up the barriers, the social construct, if you will. And he's bringing this truth that he's that bread of life, that anyone will take of that flesh, take of him, that they will have everlasting life. And then finally this morning, uh, and again, and I, I hate to end on such a negative note, but I want to get into the details next week. Uh, but in typical fashion for those who are carnal-minded, we find their protest, guys. We find their protest. You ever been around someone like that? Verse 52 says, the Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Completely, 100%. Man, they missed the point. They're not even in the same, they're not even on the same pitch, if you will. Ball's thrown over here, they're down the street somewhere. How can he give us his flesh to eat? Their focus was on the immediate. What can you do for me right now? You just, fed, you just fed us all over there just a little bit ago across the sea. You just fed, um, there was 20-some-odd thousand of us there, 5,000 men, women, and children. Hey, you fed us all from two fishes and, and uh, five loaves, man. What you going to do for us today? Uh, we followed you, and that other lot followed you because of the healings and the disease, and the dead uh, got up and walked, and a paralytic walked, and a blind saw, and the, the mute spoke, and the dumb spake. All of these things, and the deaf, hey, all these things you've done, it's time for you to take the throne. Get rid of these Romans, man. Give us a life of ease. They wanted what was immediate. Their focus was on carnal things, missing the picture of partaking in the gift of life provided by the Father through the Son of God. The indwelling Holy Spirit who would later on be sent to this earth as the mighty and wonderful comforter to seal the believer unto the day of redemption. There's always going to be those who protest salvation by grace through faith. Even though Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, sums it up in the old black and white in very clear words, there's always going to be those who want to focus on the carnal. Let's just call it like it is. The Calvinist is carnal. If you're a Calvinist, you're carnal and probably not saved. I'm going to go ahead and say that. It may upset some people. I don't care. It's Bible, amen. 
Jesus Christ didn't care who would upset this day. Those who were protesting, amen, he didn't care. He was going to preach the truth and let the truth sort them out. The Calvinists, without even realizing it, makes their salvation all about them. You know, guys, I understand salvation is a free gift. Please don't, don't get away from that. Jesus Christ, the Bible says that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should have everlasting life. I mean, should not perish to have everlasting life. It is about us. Don't get me wrong. But ultimately, it's about the love of God for his creation in reconciling his creation back unto the Father through the death of the Son and the movement of the Holy Spirit. At the end of the day, we reap the benefits, but it's all about God, amen. But if you're a Calvinist, it's about you, because somewhere along the line, God looked down and liked your haircut so much, he says, I'm going to choose you, you know, for you're just chosen, and that poor person over there who ain't got no hair, they just going to hell. That's how stupid that doctrine is, do you understand? I know I'm being a bit, you know, cheeky this morning. I know I'm being a bit you know, tongue-in-cheek over the matter, but that is what it boils down to. The Calvinist is carnal, 100% carnal, because they still think salvation is about themselves. They think they were chosen over another soul. When the Bible tells us, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Again, you're saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God. And not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Those who hold to a works salvation, either through or by baptism, feeding the poor, supporting the weak, etc., etc., they're carnal. Purely carnal. They believe that they have something to work in order to earn their salvation and yet the bible tells us in romans 11 verse 6 and if by grace then it is not no more of works otherwise grace is no more grace but if it be of works then is it no more grace otherwise work is no more work please understand me today that this group right here the whole point is that there's always going to be a group that's going to protest the truth the truth of the promise of god the truth and how we must partake the free will choice of accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And it does not change the truth, nor will it ever change it. But they just missed the point altogether. They completely missed it. And beloved, we must remain steadfast today upon the sure word of God, lest we fall into danger, lest we fall into the trap of missing what God has done for us. Missing almost the unexplainable love that he has, he has given us by allowing us to be willingly partakers of his grace so that we may reap the promise and protest not. Yeah, there was a misunderstanding that day. Yes, there's a misunderstanding that they begin to strive one with another. They begin to argue back and forth in great agony, if you will, of what's this all about? What's he talking about? Giving us his flesh. And then the Lord goes on to say some more things that are even more so controversial. But I'm here to tell you this morning, the grace of God is free to us, okay? Free to receive. It cost him everything. The grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, unmerited favor with God, came with the highest price ever imaginable, ever thought of. 
It wasn't just Jesus Christ dying on a cross, being buried for three days, and then rising again. We, we like to look at it like that, and we witness to people, and we try to get the scriptures out to them as quick as we can. We overlook the magnitude of what actually happened, the separation between God the Father and God the Son for three and a half hours. Darkness was upon the land, if you will, when God the Father had to turn his back upon the Son so the wrath of God could be poured out upon sin, upon him who knew no sin, yet became sin for us. That's why you're saved today, my friend. You're not saved because you were chosen above and beyond someone else. You're not saved today because you were better looking than your counterpart. You're not saved today because God came down in flesh and just, you know, whisked through the whole process. You're saved today because our Savior took upon the sin of the world. 6,000 years worth of sin, mind you. All the way from Adam all the way to the last person on this earth. And he paid that price on the cross of Calvary. He paid it in the bludgeoning. He paid it in the scourging. He paid it in the humiliation. He paid it when they buried him in the grave and he went to the heart of the earth and he preached unto men. And then he paid it when he resurrected from the grave and he showed that where is the, where is the, uh, uh, the, the sting of death? Amen. He wiped it all out. You know why? Because of his love for his creation. They missed that point that day. They have a misunderstanding because they're focused on what is carnal. So I'm going, to, I'm going to leave you with this thought this morning. As you read your Bible, as you go to prayers, as you come to sermons, as you look to see what God can do for you each day, do you look at it in a manner of being carnal? What can you do for me? Can you give me a meal? Can you give me a car? Can you give me prestige? Can you give me promotion? Or do you look at it in this manner? Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Help me be a witness an ambassador of the risen Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, forevermore and for every second that you give me on this earth, let me live for you, that the Father in heaven may be glorified. That's the challenge this morning. Will you bow your heads today? Father, we do thank you, Lord, for the opportunity and time to be here together. We thank you, Lord, for this illustration that you've given us in John chapter 6, Lord, that speaks so highly of your word the works that was performed upon the cross of Calvary. And we ask of you today to please instill this truth in the hearts of everyone here this morning, everyone that will hear this message in whatever venue, I pray that you would speak to them, Lord God, for, in ways that you never have, to challenge us, Lord God, to provoke us to be a worker of a mighty work, that, dear God, we may be part of the great commission of this world that you've given us here in this life, and that we would stop looking at carnal things, but rather look at the things that are eternal. Thank you so much, Lord Jesus. In Christ's name we ask these things. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. I hope and pray that the preaching and teaching of the Word of God was a blessing to your heart. Thank you so much morning. for joining us today. I do hope and pray the sermon you just heard was a tender blessing to your heart and to your soul. I hope that it gives you the encouragement, edification, to face the challenges that we see each and every day and week throughout our life. I'd like to invite you out to one of our live services here at Saren Chapel in Abraman. We are located on Lewis Street as well as Davis Street. Davis Street is the entrance to our chapel and as well as Lewis Street is the entrance to our hall and you can use either one of them. But secondly today, guys, I would like to share just a brief message to you now to ask you to where you are going in eternity. If today was the last day you were alive, if today by some tragedy 
this is the last moment you had on this earth. When you closed your eyes, would you wake up and see Jesus Christ? It is a simple question, guys, and it is even a more simple answer. The Bible tells us that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, paid the ultimate price for mankind. He gave us the free pass to eternal life by giving his life on the cross of Calvary, being buried into that grave, but rising again on the third day. It is simple as this. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You see, guys, while we were sinners, the Lord Jesus Christ loves us so much that he gave his life. As a matter of fact, Romans 5, 8 tells us, but God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Sin is defined as the transgression of God's law. But what happened was the payment with, for mankind is death. Romans 6.23 clearly tells us, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So I ask you today, what would, what would stop you right here, right now, from bowing your head and saying a prayer much like this, Lord Jesus Christ, I trust in you. Jesus Christ, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins, and I believe that you stepped up out of the grave to give us victory over sin and victory over death. I invite you into my heart and ask forgiveness of my sins and ask you to lead God and direct me throughout the rest of my life. Now, here's the thing. You say that prayer in your own words, but you have to say it and believe in it. Remember, Romans 10, 9 says, and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That is a promise from the word of God. That is a promise from God himself. That is the promise from the creator of all things, that if you'll believe on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, ask forgiveness of your sins, accept his free gift and pardon of sin into your heart today, that you will be born again, that you will have eternal life in heaven. Guys, I hope and pray this is a blessing to you today. I hope and pray that you'd make that decision. And if you have, if you've made that decision today, let us rejoice with you. Come by and see us here at the church or hit us up online at any of the social media outlets or through email or however you can. Just share with us the glorious transformation that you just received in your life. Guys, I hope to see you soon in the house of God. I hope to see you soon right here in Sharon Chapel. And may the Lord be with each and every one of you. God bless.